Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the Convergence podcast. This is going to be episode number 28 with motion designer and CG generalist Jishnu Chatterjee. We go really deep into his journey so far and unpack how he has been able to land some really big projects in a relatively short span of time as a professional artist. In particular, we go into the process of creating the main title sequence of Scam 1992, which was featured in the South by Southwest festival this year. Jishnu also spoke about where he draws his inspirations from and how he's always searching for the why and the reason behind a particular project before starting it. This was a really fun conversation and a insightful episode and there's some really great takeaways to think about and so I hope you stick around till the end of the conversation and without further ado here is episode number 28 with Jishnu. You just finished a workshop, so I just wanted to get your thoughts right right then and there about the workshop because it's always interesting when we learn all these techniques and then we have to right. give it back to the community, how that experience and that give and take is. So I really want to know your immediate perspective on that. Right. So I, I think the first things that, uh, you know, come to mind is uh, you start doubting every single step you took because when you're doing it and you're getting whatever results you meant to get, it's still it's okay because there's nobody else involved, you know, it's just you, the client. And if they're okay with it, that probably means you did your job, right? Mm -hmm. But when you have to explain the same thing to a bunch of other people, then suddenly you're doubting the validity of what you're about to say, you know, because it, it, it might be a single case scenario as well. Like you don't know if that, what you did applies to all other, uh, scenarios. So that, that, that's something that, that it really put me in this part because, this was also the first workshop I ever conducted. Oh, so okay. I don't even know if what I'm saying holds any value, but uh, I guess at that point, you kind of have to go on a limb and take a leap of faith and just, just, just say what's, what's true to you, you know, what, what actually benefited you and just keep it to that because I am no authority on anything. So I can just say what worked for me and there's a chance it might work for you or you might find a better way to do the same thing. So yeah, but it was it was super fun. Uh, thankfully, all the people that were there at the workshop were uh, like super into it. They knew the ins and outs of uh, this kind of workflow, mm -hmm. and they actually had some really interesting questions. So yeah, that's great to so, hear. It's always it's always good to see when people are sharing their techniques and the insights that they've learned because then it one of course educates the community more, but also forces you as an artist to learn quicker the next thing and kind of develop your ideas from there totally and also to just just to see that they're not you know they're not like made out of all things good you know like they make the same mistakes that you make that mm -hmm. kind of just humanizes them to a certain degree because social media has this way of uh you know of just showing the good parts right because even in in the breakdown and the process videos that you see they don't usually use the, they don't include the mistakes that were made along the way. But yeah. I feel those are some of the most important things to see so that you know that you're at least making the right mistakes, even if you aren't getting your, uh, the results that you want yet. So I, I think that that's like something that I really, I, I haven't attended a lot of workshops myself, but I've had the uh, good fortune of uh, working alongside uh, artists and uh, other creatives who are much senior to me, mm -hmm. uh, where I've been able to see the process firsthand and see how they kind of, you know, tackle these different issues that 
uh, rise up and uh, yeah just just gives me a lot of confidence that if they start out with nothing and get to a point where it's favorable maybe i can also do it you know like so it's definitely encouraging yeah that's great to hear that insight so just to get a bit more clarity was the workshop just about design and cinema 4d in general or was it specifically about designing a main title sequence so uh, we actually like uh, i had a very uh, you know like in depth discussion with the founder of the 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 uh, company that was doing the workshop about what would appeal to most people because mm-hmm. title design is still even globally is still a is a, is a niche uh, sort of category you know even when it comes to design and and animation in general very few people actually want to get into title design per se you know and most of the people there are uh, have come uh, from different departments you know like they there are the filmmakers there are graphic designers and then they sort of uh, you know elbow their way way into making titles mm-hmm. even i don't do like title design full time like i i do motion design okay. but title design is just a way for me to kind of again elbow my way into the filmmaking space i see so it's like i get to make films within films that's that's how i look at it and i i think that's really cool but uh, yeah i mean go, going back to your question i i think it's 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 kind of uh, uh you know it's 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 tough to figure out what to say to these like what what to talk about because if it's a if it's just talking about uh, let's say cinema 4d which is the software i used or octane or or all of those technical things i really don't feel that i can offer much insight that hasn't already been put out there by so many talented people like there's there's a whole array of tutorials and courses which kind of make uh, you know animation colleges seem futile <laughs> because these guys have put everything there is to know out there and most of it is there for free you don't even have to pay a dime yeah. to get all that in there and if you like if you uh, if you're gifted enough to be able to read like i'm not i can't read through <laughs> too much you know course material i have to see videos okay. so i don't have that attention span but if you do there's endless documentation which you can read and actually learn everything there is to learn with like rigorous experimentation so i didn't feel like it was prudent for me to talk about the technical aspects because even like a few months after i've done the project i already know most of the techniques i used i would not use again i do a better job today because it's just so rapidly evolving and i'm also learning so much it doesn't make sense because it would be like just a time stamp you know uh, so i i i figured it would be better to talk about something that i didn't learn from the internet and i wasn't able to get the correct resources that is just storytelling in general you know so that's what the uh, thing uh, the workshop was more focused on visual storytelling okay. just how do yeah. you tell a story with just a couple of frames you know and and like what 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 goes into that because that's something that's i haven't figured it out fully but i have found a few things that seem to work for me and it has worked on projects after scam as well so i figured that's probably something worth sharing because that's something i learned purely through experience and not from a tutorial or or a, or any course so i figured that's better to share and that's more general because anybody can use it you don't really have to know any software knowledge or or anything really like you don't even have to be an animator storytelling applies to almost any any creative field i i, I think absolutely you know? absolutely you touched upon a very very good point here because like 
just keyframe design or style frame design is so universal it doesn't matter what software or what tool you're using it's just about conveying that idea and right. once you know that then the technique really doesn't matter and like right. you said the the sequence or the techniques that you use for scam 1992 sequence is almost outdated for you at this point because you've done that you know right. what works and what doesn't work so right. Right. it's good that you have this thought process of teaching the storytelling aspect to the people who want to learn then you can see more right. ideas kind of evolve from there right because everybody will have their own flavor to it you know like i approach it in a certain way but the story can remain the same you know like the story i feel is something i would still keep like if i had to do that project again today that's the one aspect i would not change mm-hmm. the story of it because that's something i i i really like i spent a lot of time and it was probably the first time i spent that much time just figuring out what to say rather than how to say it because okay. I, I, that's like a very big difference between uh, like a beginner to somebody who's actually becoming a professional like i'm still in the process of becoming that but before it was all about how do i get that look you know i i really like that glitch that's going on there or i i love the way the lighting has been done there and i put all i used to put all engines uh, thrust forward just to just to get that look right without spending a moment thinking about okay i even if i do get it what am i trying to say with that right like why am i doing it yeah so the it's when you start asking the why before the how is i think when that change comes because then you start spending more time doing which what seems like nothing because you don't have anything to show for it because all the you know all the all the stuff happens in your mind like all all of that learning all of that uh, it basically needs to like gestate for a bit like you know you just consume a lot of information and you let it stew in your head and when the times right it just like you just get that stroke of genius and you know it's a very simple idea and when you try to backtrack it doesn't seem like that big of a deal he obviously this is the answer you know mm-hmm. but when you don't have that answer getting this like the simplest solution to a story problem is the toughest in my opinion and that's something i wish to work on further because the technical aspects of it i know i'll keep learning i'll keep upgrading and even if i can't keep up i know i have very very talented people around me who can work with me to build that you know so i like i i'm trying to shift from a uh, from that artist standpoint to a directorial standpoint mm-hmm. where i i'm trying to focus more on vision rather than execution because i feel execution anyway varies from project to project that's one of the benefits of title design because it's linked to the movie or the show it's a part of and yeah. every show by its definition has to be different so that really opens up a lot of possibilities yeah i just love the way you're thinking about these things and it's it's kind of funny you mentioned that you know you're just starting up but you've already like done a couple of pretty significant projects so it rapidly increases the exposure that you have in terms of the people you're dealing with the kind of right. pressure you might be facing on different projects so <laughs> i think it yeah. develops your artistic per- perceptions and abilities at a much faster pace i think right are you always under fire man <laughs> at least the way the way i have been working uh, so far it's you're right i've i've just started out I've, it's probably my second year in the industry uh and before that i was an intern okay. and i i started out with uh, plexus actually oh, so, i see okay. uh, you you have uh, spoken to them before and uh they're a brilliant bunch of people and they like 100% guided me into the right space and they've granted me a lot of opportunities uh that actually let me spread my wings a little bit and you know take things forward uh like in my own way 
so I have them to thank for it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's super hectic. But you kind of learn to uh, you know be in the trenches and just stay there. Where it's it's probably not as 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 good for your mental health. But <laughs> as a, as a byproduct, you you do uh, you 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 get to make something that is so subjective, like this process of ideation, which you can't really put a timer on that, right? Like the good ideas will come. They never said you, you know, you find the good ideas. It's They have to come to you. So you kind of have to let it uh, stew for a bit, like I was talking about. So, but still you kind of uh, get a feel for the space you have to put yourself in. So there's still a process to ideating, I feel, even though it's kind of out of your control, it has to happen internally. You still know what room to lock yourself in for that process to actually happen. So I'm slowly learning about that as well. I guess a quite an important part of that, especially when it comes to the title sequence aspect of things, is that you need to understand the project that you're working on at a very deep level so you can extract the most out of it. Right, right, right. 100%. Like it's, it's, uh, this is something that, uh, that I, I, I take a lot of ple- like uh, pleasure in doing uh, where, you know, you get to, uh, so I, growing up, I was always like uh, very, very into shows and, and uh, you know, movies and this whole expansive world that they create, even the most plain drama films, which don't have a lot of supernatural stuff going on, even there, everything you see is all make-believe, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's all, it's all by design. It's all been constructed. Even if it's a bedroom you're seeing, even if it's a study table, all the objects on there are placed by design. So if there's a calendar there, it's set to a specific date that was all intentional. Nothing is there by accident. Mm-hmm. And that just blew my mind that they create this world and have such a insane level of detail that it seems real. You know? And uh, to me, to see that in, in its basic framework, you know, when, uh, like when you work on a title sequence, uh, usually if, if you're included from the pre-production process, you get to, uh, take a look at those scripts, get to take a look at the references. If you're joining in much later, you get to take a look at the footage, mm-hmm. like the offline footage, and you get to see it, uh, see all the footage in its nascent form where it hasn't been graded yet. There's, there's, uh, no VFX work done on it. The, all the sound is temporary and it's very half finished, yeah. but that also yeah. kind of, uh, you know, again, uh, Going back to what I was saying about, uh, you know, when you see half-finished uh, renders or, or, or just half-finished processes where you can still spot the mistakes, it makes it all the more real and it attaches so much more value that, you know, it's going to look so much better than this in the in the final end product, but you kind of get to see the framework right. before that stage. Yeah, I mean, you're because kind once, of peaking behind the curtain at that point and seeing exactly, how it's being built. Behind, totally, because once that polish is set in, it's the, the, the whole purpose of that, uh, final finishing that polish is to kind of hide all the work that has gone into it. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to seem deceptively simple as is, but it's anything but. Right, right, right. You know, it's great to see that from the early stages because then, uh, in the best case scenarios, it doesn't always happen, but in the best case scenarios, you can also align yourself creatively in the same headspace that the makers of the show are in. So then, uh, in in some cases. I've had the good fortune of working with creators who are open to ideas so much so that we've jammed about the scope of the project and changed it mid project. Like mm-hmm. Both of us, okay. you know? we just felt like there's something else we can do that will probably add more value to the uh, project. And then just, it just, you're, you're just kind of jamming and 
you know, vibing off of each other after a point. So that's that's really cool because it doesn't feel like you're working for them. Right. You're literally. Wow, that's amazing to hear. I think I just want to put a pin on this topic that we're going yeah. on because there's so much more to discuss in terms of the development of an idea. But I just want to yeah. take the audience through your trajectory so far because the journey from being an intern to being in a position where you're collaborating with the people who are presenting the project to you in a span of two years is quite a rapid transition, I would say. So I guess. how did you just get the internship to begin with? Because even just right. getting an internship at a studio like Plexus out of school or whatever is like daunting for people, right? So how do you approach something like that? So a funny story, actually, like, uh, so I, I come from a design school. That's mm-hmm. my background. I have a I have a degree in uh, graphic design. Okay. So I, uh, it's so in our last semester of college, uh, like the last six months, we're supposed to do uh, an industry uh, internship where you do like a six month or a four month project, uh, and that becomes your final your graduation project. I see. So okay. So uh, you're supposed to apply to studios and get get a placement somewhere. And uh, I was kind of a dunce in in college because I was trying to do motion design uh, where there was no scope to do motion design because my uh, like for better or for worse at the time when I was there in college there wasn't a lot of chances uh, opportunities to do motion design like I didn't know much about animation I just I was stuck stuck between uh, filmmaking and graphic design because I I liked. everything about graphic design okay. and i like every i i love filmmaking but i just uh, i couldn't stay away from my computer <laughs> that that was the problem you know like if if like uh, i wanted to direct my own films shoot my own stuff i even had a vested interest in photography mm-hmm. so i i wanted to do all of those things but i was kind of torn in between and uh, you know if there were there was an animation department also but i wasn't interested in learning walk cycles and all that you know like i didn't want to rake characters i didn't want to do all of that i was very uh, thankfully from an early age i was very sure about what i wanted to do in terms of uh, I, i like in terms of uh, what i wanted to achieve i wanted to like build my own world own world you know like the kind of stuff the like watching the mo- movies like the matrix makes you think of right, right. it keeps you there for days You you watch a movie like that, you're you're there. You, you you after the film has ended, you're still thinking about it. The next day, you're still thinking about it. Ten years later, you're still thinking about it. You know, it's and that's the kind of impact I wanted to create. And I didn't care what I had to do to get that. Like the the how of it was very uh, like I didn't really care about it. like whether I had to hold a camera, whether I had to. uh you know yell into a loudspeaker whether i had to type some stuff into my computer anything goes was i just the, want to get that was there this kind of ambitious or forward thinking thought process around you as well like were your peers thinking the same way were the teachers thinking the same way how was it like hardly no that's oh. that's the that was a heartbreaking part you know because i i would try to shove in uh, and this is like no discredit to them they were just like uh, my goals were very differently aligned like in retrospect maybe i shouldn't have taken up graphic design you know maybe i should have tried something else but then again it would be a different problem in graphic design i was pissed at the idea of just doing static work but i was okay. still very happy that i got to play around with so many different palettes mm-hmm. and uh, you know so like i i did get to understand like the basic principles of design, design as a whole like yeah. gestalt principles and all that which i still use to this day so it's not like it was all for not yeah because that's a universal thing no matter what you're doing totally 
exactly and in filmmaking I, i'm sure i would have learned a different set of things i would have learned how to uh, work on sets you know, on physical sets how to use the kind of equipment that they use which is something i don't have any knowledge of mm-hmm. right now so but then i would have missed out on so much of the design knowledge that i now have because of that so it it was never going to be like 100% but the college wasn't geared for something like that because i don't think many people care about that as much or are looking for something like that uh, i did find a lot of like minded people uh, in my peers you know like who did have uh, similar ambitions and uh, even if they didn't want to do the same thing they understood where i was coming from so i could talk to them i could speak to them okay. and a few faculty members were there who you know kind of got that i was onto something else entirely and they did encourage me like you know because i would make uh, short films for my after effects courses in college like there was okay. one after effects course which i was waiting for the <laughs> one course nobody gave two shits about okay that was, that was the course for me because i they they said that okay try out some motion graphics techniques okay and now i have been messing around with after effects since like the 6th grade like i've i've grown up on andrew kramer tutorials okay like i would watch that as a pastime you know because the dude's amazing i mean he makes after effects look so entertaining like you know it's just again like another god uh, amongst us but uh, you know I, i i grew up watching all of that and so i i knew i had like some leeway in that like i i didn't need to do the basics that everybody else was doing i didn't need to you no know, keyframe a ball moving up and down i know how to do that i can do something more so i tried to make a whole short film which took me the duration of two courses and i almost flunked the other course because of that <laughs> but uh, you know but it was it was fun and and i i think like at the time what i ended up making was was pretty cool for like a college student at the time right. but again zero appreciation because it was not part of the deliverables so that's not what they asked for so they were like okay this is fine and i was very discouraged by that like yo like you know i i spent so much effort into this i thought this would finally make you see why i want to do the kind of stuff i want to do and unfortunately to no avail so they the so but but one or two faculty members like they peeped in my jury and you know when i was presenting my stuff to my faculties and they they just they saw the movie and they were like you know whatever you're doing this is not the place for it but you you don't stop doing what you're doing right. something is going to come out come out of it and i think i'm still living off of that because that one faculty member told me that i still believe that you know if somebody can can tell me because at, when you're in college it's it's a very nascent and vulnerable stage right you don't really fully trust your capabilities yet you don't know who you are yeah so you need somebody some words of encouragement to actually make you believe in yourself and then just keep on the path and like fast forward to my grad project uh i applied to 40 different studios wow uh and i got no response from any of them so in the end i was like in tatters i was i i was just you know it, it it takes a huge blow to your self esteem also right like as a as a creative where you start start doubting like what you're made of you know uh, because you, everybody even more everybody so else as a student because at that time you have that pressure of like trying to get a job and the pressure exactly. from the family and stuff like that so there are yeah, multiple things yeah. and it's it's like your whole whole career path right like yeah. if, if i get a internship <laughs> of trying to 40 different places mm-hmm. how the hell am i going to get a job yeah. right like because i i knew my grades weren't stellar for all the same reasons i just 
<laughs> told you about you know like i was always trying to do something different and somewhere the it didn't click like i didn't do good enough work it anyway wasn't what they are expecting so it's something different altogether and then a friend of mine uh, told me about plexus i didn't know about them at all so i uh, i found out about them and just as a hail mary i uh, decided to just message them on facebook okay you no know, uh, hey i'm looking for an internship uh, i i do c4d and stuff like <laughs> please let me know if you if you want someone and they got back to me that day itself they're like yeah yeah let's let's uh, let, let's uh, fix up a meeting i went and met them and uh, yeah it was just done it was just done i accidentally had some c4d stuff opened up on my computer and they hadn't even seen my portfolio yet i think when they were meeting me okay. but they just looked at what was already open on my computer and uh, they were like dude that's cool so i was just messing around with like a like a david statue and okay. just putting some glowing lights around it nothing nothing spectacular but they seemed to like it ki okay this guy knows how to do this let's take him on board and after that it's just been a journey man like vijesh and yashoda from plexus they're the first people probably in my life uh, to actually trust like put some faith in me when nobody had ever done that before and that just let me really grow out of my shell and you know just do what i needed to do which i was already doing but i just didn't couldn't put the faith into it you know like so that's such yeah, an that's important all... point that you just mentioned uh, because if you don't get that first chance no matter how much passion and energy you have you really can't get into the industry because somebody needs to trust you once to begin with somebody needs to put yeah that that leap of faith man that just it's it needs to come from your side as the artist yeah. and it needs to come from the investor also or whoever else is kind of pushing you forward you know that needs to be like both components need to kind of click and that's i think what's so hard right like because you're there's so many struggles you as a creative there's so much work around you you don't know where you fit in into yeah. all that and uh then again the opportunities lack of opportunities uh so so to speak like yeah it's i just got lucky man that's that's what i keep telling people i just got lucky definitely i think see luck is a pretty big part of our industry overall in a creative field and in a design field but a lot of preparation also goes into being ready for that luck to i mean right. for you to take hold of that luck essentially i mean you were working on that c4d project no matter how simple it seems in hindsight you were still doing <laughs> it at the right time so it just works yeah. out that way yes um so then you started working on lela as a motion graphics artist or motion designer yes. what yes. was that so, experience so like that was that was crazy man like i first netflix project ever and you know straight out of college like this guy who couldn't get into any studio suddenly lands a netflix project what's that about right like so that that was that was crazy for me i never in my wildest dreams expected that to ever happen mm-hmm. where uh, because the kind of uh, i was basically in charge of uh, figuring out the uh, you know the fictional ui for the devices that they had in lela like yep. which were which are all like transparent phones uh, holograms blah 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 all that so we obviously inspired by blade runner and what not and i just like i just got to like all the stuff that i would get uh, you know like yelled at for doing in college i could suddenly that's exactly what i'm supposed to do so that was like a very like a 180 degree turn in my life and i was just enjoying the hell out of it and okay. i think i still am like you know that's why i can still keep going it's too much fun like where this is what i would do in my free time anyway so if i can get paid for it hey like sign me up no oh that's amazing 
it's interesting right like oftentimes when you're studying you really don't know what kind of projects you might run into so it's good that you were trusting your passion and trusting the kind of design language and the kind of things that inspire you and you stick stick with it for a long period of time and then it kind of comes back to you in a professional setting yeah yeah like let's like just just hoping you know that there is a space out there somewhere that can accommodate you and that is like almost waiting for you mm-hmm. you know like because there's it has to mean something like i'm i i i just feel like it has like there has to be a general you know like a like a road map to these things because in hindsight a lot of things connect you know like when you start thinking about it that this was definitely meant to be like there was no other way this could have gone because <laughs> like you said you're preparing for this stuff from before you even know this this there's going to be a career out of it yeah because you know the the stuff that you do uh which just which just brings you pure joy creatively i think that comes from this this innate like this childhood uh feeling that we have towards these things you know that that uh, that's a powerful place to like draw inspiration from because those things that you did as a child you didn't do uh, thinking about your career options and the kind of pay package you'd get or the status you would have in society you just did that because you loved doing it right and i don't think there's a purer place of learning so i just try to stick to that try to even if i'm going astray a little bit i try to navigate back to that just do something that uh, you know that the 7 year old you would be proud of you know and there's because that that guy that that little guy doesn't know anything about the world he just knows about what you like uh-huh. and he, uh-huh. nobody else knows it better you know that's beautiful i mean just talking about passion and inspiration you had mentioned the matrix earlier and of course learning from andrew kramer what were some of the other things earlier on are you somebody who would read books i know you said you don't like to read too much but were books a part of your inspiration early on or movies well not the only kind of books i've i've read like i've read the few basic novels like harry potter and all that mm-hmm. i'm not I'm not much of a bookworm but the only kind of books i've read are comic books okay i'm like a huge comic book nerd so uh there again it was so much more appealing to me because of just so much work goes into that you know like you you look at a few panels and it's just you have to wait for a minute you know like <laughs> what's going on here like you have to kind of digest it all because there's so much at play right like there's there's uh, intercontextuality between uh, different panels as well like there's a motion that kind of follows through and it's all like all heavy heavy design stuff but and it's usually uh, it's it's just laid out in front of children like it's nothing but it's so meticulously designed i i don't know if i even understood all of that when i was a kid but i knew that it was so so uh, moving to me that my immediate response was to try to make my own like when i was in uh, first grade or or kindergarten or like that age around i tried to make my own comic book panels nice. so it it wasn't it, it wasn't so much to uh you know imitate like a superman or a batman it was just to i i love the idea of these different comic books having these different characters who also kind of interplay with each other you know like this expanded universe like uh for every superman and batman there's a justice league right. where they kind of work together yeah, yeah, yeah so i would try to make my own characters and you know like this is before i can even write cohesive like text where i can't spell things correctly yet <laughs> but i just try to like uh, you know uh, get these panels across just to try to tell a story and then i'd have issues like my 
like the whole, it was all in an effort to you know write somewhere issue number three. Okay. And uh, we like yeah, there's three of these things, you know, like so, so uh, yeah. I mean that that's when I uh, knew. I think even at that age that this stuff, this is crazy. This is whack. Like I I need to I need more of this, whatever that is, and just uh, beat cartoons like uh, you know Samurai Jack, uh, even something like uh, the Powerpuff Girls, man. Like that that stuff is is crazy. Like for for a kid. Uh, even now, I, I love everything about those old cartoon episodes. Absolutely, cartoon. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, Samurai Jack, especially, I still go back to even now very often. Yeah, the the kind of worlds they ended up building, which are so simplified, you know, yeah. and and they make it like they uh, it, it's it doesn't have all this extra baggage of uh, stuff to just to make it look mature, mm-hmm. you know, because I feel like a lot of projects hide behind that just because they show blood and gore and you know somebody killing somebody suddenly okay it's serious right i don't right. think it is like a lot of the times they don't work enough on the world building part of it but you look at something like samurai jack man they every episode is a different film yeah. like you know it's a different world and i don't know how much effort it must have taken them to get that across but you look at something like batman beyond another gem right like that was if if i'm not wrong that is not a part of the batman comic canon that was built specifically for that show oh, wow. so all the characters in batman begins uh, sorry in 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 batman beyond, batman beyond yeah. all original so the whole timeline the whole uh, the futuristic cities and everything the art style everything was built from scratch within a span of like 9 months just goes to show, I mean, like in terms of world building, how much thought and effort actually goes into developing something it's like insane. that. It's insane. It's insane. And like, you know, like look at like Avatar and like the last Airbender, like just like these are expensive worlds, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's franchise material. Like I like, like I say, you know, like it's, it's, it's nuts. I, I, so I, I was definitely uh, like very captured by the ability to make your own world, mm-hmm. you know, where you, you can kind of stay in it. That's why I love the Harry Potter books and the Narnia books and all that also, which is the only reading I did. But even there, they have they just put in so much detail that you can't help but think, okay, this is a real place. There's no way that's not real. Your mind is kind of tricked into doing that. So I, I, that's that's what I really wanted to do: just build my own worlds. Oh, it's amazing that like how early on these inspirations almost latch onto your mind, and you start thinking about yeah. those ideas and people who end up going down a career path which requires them to be creative how far back those inspiration points and sources can track back in your life so it's totally really it reveals itself in in hindsight you know like yeah. at the time it's just something i'm just messing around with it you know like there's there's an instance like i want to make this too much about my childhood but there's just this instance where no no please uh, go ahead it doesn't mean uh, where I, I think i was in the second or the third grade uh, and uh, at the time, uh, I I was really hooked on to the Transformers cartoon, like the o- old ones. Okay. Again, another landmark, uh, like ju- just just the concept of it, man. Like the these cars turn into uh, robots, you know. And even in the kids' cartoon, the animations were so freaking detailed, you know, where it's just it gives you so much to think about. So I I again, my immediate response was I have to recreate this somehow, you know. So at the time I was still thinking about recreating things rather than telling what I wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. So uh, I wasn't telling stories yet. I was just, I just wanted to 
like recreate that in some way or form. So uh, I, I, I'd go straight into paint. Like my, the, the amazing software at my disposal at the time was MS Paint and uh, Microsoft Movie Maker, the old one. Yeah, which I is remember the good that. One. Yeah. So, the, uh, so I, I had MS Paint and I would basically paint out single frames oh, wow. with my mouse. I didn't have like a pen tablet or anything. And it was, it was, it was piss poor, it was really horrible <laughs> paints, but like I, I, I'd use the fill tool to get like shading and all that, you know, like very basic. And I'd make my own transformers like animation because I had figured out this big uh, technical thing at the time that uh, when you import a bunch of pictures in uh, movie maker and Microsoft movie maker, you can set the, in, in your preferences, you can set the default time that each image is there for like the default duration uh, so that way you don't have to individually scale each uh, picture. Mm -hmm. So I set that to the lowest possible value. And then I'd import all of these, like I'd paint out maybe like 40, 50 frames and I'd import it back into windows movie maker. And there you go. I have like an animation. Wow. So it was like transformers animation and like Stickman uh, fights, of course, where uh, people are, it's again, inspired by dragon ball Z. So people are turning into like Super Saiyan versions of themselves and beating the shit out of each other. But uh, yeah, so all of this wasn't a career path at the time. You know, this is something like this is what was wrong with me as a child. Is what I yeah. I mean, it's just like it's just that phase of pure creation, basically, where you where you're just doing yeah, it because yeah. you want to do it. Because I want to. Because I'd rather do that than go down and play with my other friends. You know, and they'd be like, "This guy's there's something wrong with him." And <laughs> there definitely is. But uh, you know, I think that. Is like that's what I still draw inspiration from today because like I know that's when I feel the most like myself when I'm doing something like that where I'm doing it for no other reason but I just want to see how it turns out. Was there a moment so, where you switch your mindset in terms of recreating something that you've been inspired by and move to telling your own stories? What was that changing factor that moment? basically? I think uh, that happened... Uh, that happened probably the first time when I was uh, I was given a chance to work on my own title sequence for the first time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a scam. Okay. There was a title before that called uh, for a, for a MX player show called uh, Raktanchil. So okay. smaller, much smaller project, and there was a 15 second title sequence for that. And there, the idea was like it's it's set in uh, 1980s in the 1980s in in the Purvanchal region of of uh, of India. Okay. Where it's the wild wild west of india in the 80s like just think of it that way there's there's a lot of guns there's a lot of coal mines and there's a lot of illegal uh, government tender uh, contracts that are being handed out okay and there's a lot of like uh, you know brute force like gangland stuff going on like it's like gangs of new york but like much much uh, <laughs> like indianized version right so something like that is going on so i uh, so, so, so they tasked they the brief was to use footage from the show and just kind of layer it on top of each other and get some interesting effects. And then ending may just, you, you have the uh, title reveal. And I tried doing that. It was just not working. And there was just like two weeks, two or three weeks to finish the entire thing. And I was like, maybe I should try 3D, but I don't know if I can finish it in that time, you know? So then after the photo bashing stuff just didn't work, I just figured, you know what, screw it. Let's let now now or never, you know. And that's the first time I was actually forced to make something of my own, which is not an imitation of something else. Okay. Because okay. it's not a personal project, quote unquote, you know, where I can 
do whatever I want and get away with it because it's experimentation at the end of the day. It's right. not, you're not for account- a client. accountable it's, to anyone else. I'm not accountable yeah. to it. Exactly. It doesn't really serve a function other than showing what I'm working on at the moment. This right. had to serve a function. And I saw it as a, as a, as a, as a chance to move up to the next level, because I was very aware of that. Uh, the, the fact that I was still in that imitating phase where even if I, I'm working on a part of a project, the best I could probably do is try to recreate a look that I like from a different film or a different show. Cause I have watched a lot of things that I'm really inspired by, but it's never come down to, okay, make something out of scratch. And that's no. quite hard as well, to be fair. I mean, I remember when the true detectives title sequence came out, I mean, the whole show came out every next show after that was a double exposure main title sequence without fail. And it just goes to show even at a very, very high professional level, it's hard to get away from these trends. So totally, totally. it trends, like like you said, yeah, trends is like, it's the death of (laughs) creative work in in general, you know, like I, I don't like that at all, but yeah, I mean like true detective, like, like you brought up, that's one of my favorite, favorite, like title sequences of all time. But I was, I think that's one of the first ones that I, where I, I was really forced to take a moment and just appreciate the beauty of it all. Because mm-hmm. that's a show that doesn't require a title sequence, the more you think about it. But now that you watch the show, you can't watch it without. Absolutely. You know, it, it's a slow burner detective show. You, you don't need a title sequence that intricate and that beautiful. That's more like an art piece. That's an art installation. That's not, it's, it's talking about such a, such a dark subject matter, but it shows it in such a beautiful way. Almost like you start seeing the art in it. You know? yeah. It almost puts you in the headspace of that the 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 killer in in the in the first uh, uh, in the first season, right? Where you start seeing the patterns in in everything, and it and it's just it works on so many levels. I I didn't know that title sequences could be so coherent and so uh, unnecessarily grand, you know. And I I I just love that. I love the whole idea that you can put it somewhere where it's not required. Obviously, these big blockbusters will have a elaborate title sequence because they demand for it. Yeah, know? I mean, it, like, it goes back to that same concept that you were talking about earlier, right? Like having that movie within a movie, so to totally, speak. Totally, totally. And this definitely, I mean, hit it out of the park. Yeah, it's something else. And they, they own it. Like the double exposure thing, I don't think anybody can ever do it to that degree. And like, because they just up their game for the uh, next two seasons as well. Like regardless of how the seasons themselves went, <laughs> yeah. I suppose the title sequences were still top notch like, for all three seasons. So, Sir Patrick Clare. Of so, course. Yeah, again, I mean, that's a leg- legendary figure in the title sequence world. Are there any Something. other people whose work you've drawn a lot of inspiration from who are actually working in the industry currently? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I uh, there's there's a few people like uh, so I I didn't know a lot about uh, you know the the artists behind uh, works because I, for whatever reason I never looked that much into it because in my head I was always into films right. and not everything in between. So I would only look at directors more than uh, the artists. Like it's only in recent years, like after I went went to design school, that I started looking at the designers. Uh, out there as well like Ashthorpe is obviously like a very big inspiration for me because that that guy is in the vision business he's not an artist he's creating worlds every day he's creating worlds and when people I'm assuming when people go to him they don't go with a with a brief uh, which says you know make me this they go to him to discuss the validity of their idea because he's at that kind of level you know where he he has the site 
<laughs> in 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 other words and that's something that's a, a place i aspire to get get to at some point in my life hopefully uh, but other than that in terms of uh, directors that i'm inspired by who have a very uh, i i like the i like directors who have a very very uh, distinct visual style like david fincher okay the way they use they weave in visuals you know that's that's how i like to think about it they're not they're weaving it in you know like because everything is by design it's intricately planned uh yeah it's not uh, in your like, face to show you hey i did yeah. a glitch texture or something like that it's just exactly, part exactly. of the story it's just so subliminal you know yeah. and and of course there's there's big visionaries like like J- the james camerons of the world but like when it comes to them the kind of projects they work on are so huge that it's impossible for one person to think all that up you know you know that a lot of it is being done by other people as well which doesn't take away from the overall vision yeah but doesn't give me one singular point of inspiration like ridley scott and david fincher do that for me like even kubrick because you know these and, and christopher nolan these guys are super super specific so you take a frame for their from their films and you can tell okay this is definitely a fincher film you don't even need to know what film it's from because they have that much control over every department and that's something i really like i'm inspired by mm-hmm. that they have a vision that kind of covers all of those bases and not just the story or just the acting or just the 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 screenplay you know they their vision extends to the to the sound to the color grade to the exact nature of the vfx used to the way the frame moves even down to the title sequences like david fincher is another big source of inspiration because of the insane title work that is there throughout all of his films yeah even his music videos so he's and he has impeccable taste like again for ashtop i'd say the same thing these guys have impeccable taste and it it seems to extend endlessly you know like so that's something i re- i'm really inspired by taste is an interesting subject you know because the things that you're mentioning right now the names rather mm-hmm. i absolutely adore their work i love their work and you obviously studied their work quite a bit so you know what why those things work that way and each of these people are masters in their own right who have like impeccable sure. taste how do you think a person can kind of refine their taste and draw inspiration from good sources because it's one thing to draw inspiration but it's a very different thing from to draw inspiration from the right places get the right kind right. of look and kind of learn from right. that how does one go about doing that in your opinion in my opinion i think it's just trial and error and like i i'm very sure all of these guys didn't get to where they are in a day you know i mean they've they've like the one thing that i do know uh works in refining your taste is just going through a lot of stuff you know like i be it watching as much as you can watch or just doing as much as you can do probably a mix of both because yeah. just watching is just one component because you don't really know what's going on in the in the framework you think you do when you try to do some of that yourself <laughs> even if it's not to just recreate that even if it's just to try to do something along the same lines you figure out the problems for yourself like right. okay it's much more difficult than it seems yeah 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 and then you understand okay that's why they probably stopped at that point and they didn't go further you know you might look at a frame in a in a film and and be like okay i think they could have probably made the lighting more intense or maybe there could be a, a little uh, a bit more grunge in the in the frame then when you try to do that yourself you see okay so that hurts if i add too much grunge it hurts the visibility of things it's changing the nature of the frame if i add too much light it feels blown out but you might not arrive to those conclusions unless you try it out obviously with time you start seeing that better because yeah. you 
have more knowledge but i i i also don't like one one thing that i would like to point out is this is something i i believe in that it's not necessary that all your good sources of inspiration need to come from people who have consistently good work you know so it's it's not like you can only be inspired by a david fincher and not by a michael bay right you know because, absolutely i mean it's, his body of work is uh controversial at best let's let's say in terms of the quality of it you know but yeah, I, i mean then what just to cut you off for a second like the way i look at it is whether somebody likes his work or not i think i have to appreciate how well his ability is to pull a project like that together 100% I mean, 100% that requires tremendous yeah. effort in itself tremendous effort like like you even like right now if you look at the first transformers movie that came out i think 2009 or 8 wow okay that, that to me yeah it's it's a while ago right but but if if you look at that today like for me that is objectively a good movie sure it has its own moments of like just behem which is it has to be there it's his i mean it's a signature but, thing yeah it's a signature thing uh but if i still think it's an objectively great movie mm-hmm. in in the amount of things like it that set set so many standards and i think because of all the other films that followed which weren't as good it kind of tainted the amount of like like the landmark that the first transformers film was mm-hmm. you know we look at uh, like the amount of vfx he did there and it was all seamless it was It's pristine, like for something that came out over a decade ago, it has aged beautifully. Like Absolutely. That, to me, has done like has had the same impact as Avatar did in terms of the you know the 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 things it introduced. Like Avatar is obviously like something else altogether, but even Transformers did that. Like you know you you have VFX, you have uh, these big blockbuster moments, but it's still not. atypical you know it's it's that there's there's still that 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 edge that that would soon come to be defined by marvel in the coming years later but i think he kind of started pioneering that so yeah. there's a lot to really appreciate from that and and also i mean he reintroduced transformers to a whole new generation of viewers so generation. that in itself is a very very massive contribution yeah absolutely and and i come from that generation who had seen had watched and loved transformers at an early age so I was sold. I was like, when I still remember the teasers that came out, mm-hmm. uh, like the hype teasers, where I think it was just the footage of uh, like some rover on Mars, and the camera gets like uh, kind of screwed up by like a robot arm. Oh right, right. Because right. the they're coming, and like the film, I I think didn't live up to that. But that that just that visual, because at that point nobody had seen a physical transformer before. I mean that itself was so cool, right? You actually get to see a car. kind of transform into a robot yeah. in a physically rendered way it had never been done before like now we, it's common place because we've seen it so many times we don't realize how much of a landmark that actually was to create that now know? we're almost so, i mean for me personally i'm almost looking at who can resist the urge to do something that obvious and depict something right. in a much more subtle manner exactly now it's, it's i think it's like a pendulum you know like it's yeah. it keeps swaying back and forth so in in a few years maybe that will be the cool thing to do again what michael bay did who knows interesting yeah oh it's like so many inspirations kind of come and go and you don't even realize what all has internalized in your process yeah it just it just forms this like this this uh you know this this uh, mashing of like different ideas from different places 
but you kind of uh, start identifying the patterns from all of them you know like you see the problems that they were solving and the techniques they used to do that mm-hmm. and you get what where they are coming from and i think as time goes on i'll start understanding it better like my current understanding is serving me for now but i wish to go deeper and just like understand how they did all of that and why of course i think now now that we've gone through a lot of content about how you've arrived at this point i think this will be a good point to pivot back to our earlier conversation about the development of scam 1992 sequence and right, the right. thought process about the why rather than the what and stuff like right, that right. so firstly how how did you land that project to begin with so again i'll have to point fingers to vijesh uh, from plexus because i i had done at this point i had done uh, raktanchal that was the only title sequence i had done by myself okay and uh, that was decent for the amount of time i had it was decent it wasn't like amazing or anything and uh, so uh, vijesh liked it and he sent it to the uh, the co director of scam uh, who is a friend of uh, vijesh okay. jay mehta okay so he was looking for a motion designer to take on this project and i think at the time vijesh was busy so he wasn't able to do it so he recommended me and uh, then we just got to talking and uh, Yeah, it just kind of took off from there, man. Like we, I, I honestly can't like there. There wasn't. Jay only saw Raktanchal and a couple of other stuff that I had done, like some of my personal projects, and he he took a leap of faith. Like so many people have uh, done in my life, thankfully, uh, and that just led to all of it <laughs> happening soon after. Yeah, it's it's almost fascinating, you know. Like people. want to get into this kind of a position where you have the free reign to work on a title sequence of that scale and magnitude and now that the show is out there and the title sequence has been so well appreciated the value of the project is much much higher than it might have been when it was in the process of totally. development yeah it's definitely inflated i'll, I'll give you that yeah. like I, the the imdb ratings and all that that was i think it was like almost like a frenzy when it came out it's it's still ongoing i mean i, I love the show I, but uh, I, i'm yet to yeah. see it actually but i've obviously heard so many good things about it and <laughs> it's good it's good it's not as great as this like i, I the makers will agree with me on mm-hmm. this it's just like both it's a little bit inflated okay. but hey it's 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 like it's still, like uh, this is what i told jay as well because you know uh, we were having a discussion about it's it's rated higher than breaking bad on imdb right now oh okay it's rated shown Right, right, right. So that's obviously a little too far, you know. <laughs> like it's it's above the wire and all that. So, I mean, Breaking Bad is arguably the best show, start to finish. So I mean, yeah, you know. So and 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 the makers of the show are people who are inspired by Breaking Bad, like in general, not for this show. But so we were having a discussion, and and uh, I think we just like uh, we just talked about how if this like if this is going to be the top rated show in that way, then it just puts it on a stage. for the world to see right and if the world were to see any one show coming out of india i would probably go for this one like i would be most comfortable with everyone seeing this as yeah. the as the as the breadwinner for for india because it's just so well crafted mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if it's better than breaking bad or not it's the like it's one of the best shows that ever made in india that's for sure that much i can get behind you know and as that this when the process of development was happening for the title sequence was it something 
collaborative in terms of you were talking with the co-director and the director writers in terms of what they wanted to depict in the title sequence or did you have the freedom to kind of explore that so uh the, the, what i got to uh, like the material i received uh, when i joined the project the all the episodes were already shot and oh. we were like yeah the, and the pandemic had just like come into like full effect so nobody's leaving the house anywhere mm-hmm. and they're doing all their post production work which is grading vfx so i watched all the episodes uh like all 10 episodes without uh, the final sound without final vfx without the final color grading oh okay. and i still loved it i still loved it it was, it was amazing right. and uh that's all i had to go on because they had no particular uh, ideas for what to do with the title sequence mm-hmm. they said that they do like the madman title sequence that's all these are the two things i had to work okay. off okay okay and uh, i just like it was daunting at first because the subject matter is such that it's not inherently visual you know a stock market scam the immediate visuals that come to mind are those you know the the stock market uh, uh, i mean the ticker that that, that Yeah, the ticker, ticker, ticker tape, and the numbers going up and down, right. and stuff like that, green and red, and I absolutely despised all of that because mm-hmm. like, it it makes it look like a some sort of a documentary or some news show, you know. I wanted to stay as far away from that as possible. Like, like my first uh, order of business, like for me internally, was no numbers, okay. no way in hell am I going to put any numbers in this title sequence. Because that's too easy, you know. Like stocks, okay, numbers. Finance, numbers. Right. I put threw that out of the window. The first thing, and then I it took me almost a few weeks, like three to four weeks, just to you know uh, digest all the material. Because I'm not from the I don't understand a lot of finance terms and all that. So the show does a brilliant job of breaking it down in very simple layman terms okay. for everyone to understand. And I took that like I I tried to take all the uh like little things i could gather i sketched out all of the uh, visual motifs that i found in the show mm-hmm. like beat the period accurate uh, cordless phones uh, the kind of uh, computers they had the floppy disks the car that harshad mehta owned all of these things that i i i didn't know if it would come in handy but i need to just keep a note of it just so i know like these are the stand out things and then i really started thinking racking my brain about uh, what kind of a story can i tell because in terms of treatment we had already kind of agreed on something okay so wasn't like a linear process where i figure out the story first then we get the treatment approved i figured the treatment is something that is fairly general it can be decided much earlier so we went for that sketchy sort of uh, you know hand drawn look from an early stage okay um, this was also like it was like a moment of foresight for me because i knew with the computing power i had at the time there was no way i could get like proper frames rendered out no chance so i had to treat it to make it look different so i figured hey a 12 fps uh you know like a sketchy look i could probably cheat so that was the first order of like i i had to run my own scams as well <laughs> right so it's so funny i mean some a person designing a title sequence with very low computing power and then it ends up at south by southwest eventually it's like you just can't predict these kind of things it just oh yeah happens. like f- funny funny story i st- started ideating like the i i worked on the project for two months mm-hmm. so the first month i worked on my laptop i didn't own a desktop yet okay so 
no chance my laptop can handle anything of that sort but because we were just conceptualizing i can look at watch the episodes and do some basic mess arounds in in after effects but i can't it's not production ready right so i actually uh, i had to take a leap of faith where i didn't have the uh, the funds to buy a system for myself like i'd been saving up for a year before that but it was still not enough because these things they like they're expensive man mm-hmm. so so i uh, i used the uh, like i was already locked on the project and we had already exchanged a few ideas which they were on board with but it wasn't like a full story or anything and i still had no idea how i'm going to execute it so i used the advance payment that i got for the project to buy a system and i was all out i was already like zero funds so <laughs> so that, that was the kind of uh, you know uh, racket i was running at the time and uh, yeah that that's so by the time i was uh, you know my computer was and it was the middle of a pandemic right mm-hmm. so i uh, all travel was kind of blocked so the uh, a friend of mine was assembling my pc for me okay and oh. he couldn't get it to my place oh because okay there were travel restrictions so but i needed to get this stuff done because there was timelines were still right so i made half the sequence on team viewer from my laptop using my pc which is not at my place yet oh. and, and then yeah and then like later on he just like and he also totally understood my situation so he also like well, we put on a mask and this is at a high time when the fear is at a all time high mm-hmm. you know like right now i think people are kind of used to it yeah they don't make fuss but at the time it's still new it's fresh it's a pandemic and everybody's freaking out he still made the effort uh, to like drive all the way here and get my pc and i'm just running around you know trying to get everything to work and i don't have any time to test run things he's already installed all my software here so i just plug it in and i just get back to working like it, like nothing ever happened <laughs> you know so Wow. So yeah, it's, it was a lot of uh, like cutting corners, but making sure the corners I cut added something uh, creatively to the project. Mm-hmm. So I just tried to use limitations, my restrictions, uh, creatively, so that it added something to the project and didn't feel like I'm cutting corners. Although I really was, but that's why it took longer for me to really arrive at the exact style I want to use. And uh, in terms of story, uh, I think. Uh, the story the the crux of it i think that the inner workings had started the first time uh, jay mata actually called me to pitch the project mm-hmm. where he told me about uh, the like harshad mata the the figure right. the, like what he had done because i had no clue and he's explained for almost an hour so he just went on to tell me about all of his life and why he's important what he managed to do and uh, after that like after several weeks of just trying different ideas out i went back to that phone call again because other stuff was was again like well like we discussed it was feeling like cheap imitations right. or something else wasn't feeling like its own thing so i went back to that phone call conversation and i i tried to understand okay like i got to stop trying to make this for somebody else like i need to make this based off of my understanding because i am also part of the audience who will see this right so then that that made me realize that uh i'm like i was born in 96 you know and the stock market crash happened in 92 and uh, so all of harshad mehta's debacles and and his rise to fame all of that happened before i was even born and so many people from my generation and people younger than me have no clue who this guy is 
and so they and the show doesn't really make an effort to introduce Harshad Mehta that way like a like a documentary would. Yeah, because I mean the show is almost like a period piece. It's set thirty years exactly. back. It's the perfect itself, right? Yeah. So it it's it it can't waste time doing that. So yeah. it just dives straight into the story where you're just. To me, when I watched the show, my my experience was the only background on Harshad Mehta I had was what Jay had told me. Okay. So apart from that, I was just looking at a character. It didn't carry any weight. Like if to if you see a historical figure in a biopic, every time that character walks. into the frame he hold he or she holds a certain weight right you know okay this is how this guy took his first steps into this you know and every every action they take has that much more value so i felt that that might be missing for a lot of people mm-hmm. you know and the only source of uh, getting that awe and that bewilderment would be just re- reading maybe old newspaper articles which are all very old they are not from right now and they don't do the same they don't have the same effect of seeing somebody's face plastered on the headlines uh, and the the figures go 5000 crore scam right 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 it's not like how do you even visualize that amount of money it's i i i personally still can't like i don't know what that looks like <laughs> and most people will never know actually most people won't know like they're not supposed to you're not supposed to see that much money in one place anyway so uh I, you know i i i figured why not keep it simple in terms of the concept why don't i tell a fable tell a, tell the legend of harshad mehta the man who was who rose to these blinding heights of success which was built atop of you know faulty foundations mm-hmm. so he didn't use the right means to get there but the fact that he got there still deserves recognition even if not praise right 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 so and he he was a nobody he was a very like a lower middle class family a uh, person and he just he went on to uh, you know you know be at the same level as the ambanis and the tatas of the world of of india at at that point and he this guy came out of nowhere with no knowledge he just had the audacity to go in that direction and be headstrong about it so he definitely even prateek gandhi's character in the show brings that flair to the to the screen you know and i really like latched on to that that this guy controls the frame when he's there Mm-hmm. Like he has an air around him. It's very reminiscent to Don Draper, but in a different aspect from Mad Men, uh, where when he's talking, other people are listening. Something like that, you know. So, I wanted to show that rise and fall, basically, like his rise to the top, absolute top of the game, and then his fall from grace. The and, the really interesting thing about this whole process of how you ideated the title sequence is that you technically went back to the concept of stocks going up and down, but metaphorically it's about a person rather than the stock itself exactly and that's exactly. a very simple but subtle shift which changes the look completely yeah and that's something you know like when you look think back to it it's simple right i mean that's there's nothing complicated about it but when you have to think of that when exactly. that answer is not there yeah arriving at that point arriving at that point is just so hard and i i like uh, you know in terms of just getting the overall proportions of it like the story makes sense mm-hmm. but then how do you show it in a relevant way where it because there's a there's a billion ways to show what i just described yeah. right like rising to the top and then falling back down this is where i went back to james bond like all the james bond title sequences how they use scale uh, abstractly they use surrealism right, right and they right, use right. out of it and they're like uh, uh, for me undoubtedly the leading source of inspiration for what to do with surrealism in motion mm-hmm. how to depict it 
because you know you you break down any any James Bond title montage. It you can probably break it down to like three visual elements. One uh, being uh, you know guns and violence and all all of that stuff, right? That's integral to James Bond as a as a as a spy. Right. Then the second thing is his his uh, insatiable lust. That's always a part of it, right? There, there's these feminine figures who are always there, yeah. and they're always the the guns and the violence and the f- uh, female uh, silhouettes. They're always larger than life, just to show that. And and James Bond, like, a character, is always navigating through that, or just falling, or just you know, just just kind of battling the elements because you can tell that he's controlled by these things. That these things are very very important to him. almost so much so that they are controlling his life they are directing his life mm-hmm. and the third visual element changes for every film depending on the subject matter so you look at casino royale it's all cards you look at uh, quantum of solace it's based in the desert you look at skyfall it's based underwater because this is where james james bond like goes back to his roots where he's he's feeling like he's submerged mm-hmm. you know so it's So I I really took like a lot of inspiration from that because I feel there's a lot of uh, parallels you can draw between the James Bond title sequences and Mad Men also. Yeah, because yeah. they deal with a lot of the same subject matter, right? And It's, the and the interesting yeah. thing is that for both these properties that you mentioned, they are represented in a very simple graphical shapes and graphical elements on screen, and it's yeah. instantly recognizable. Yeah. Exactly. So I I I was super super inspired by that because the kind of subject matter that I was dealing with. there's no like it's not an action sequence you know there's no actual visual markers for it like right. when a when a stock market trade happens the only visual that apart from the numbers is maybe people yelling at each other i mean that's still not something <laughs> to build the whole thing out of you right, know right 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 and it's not like he's a rapper with a buttload of money that i can just show him you know like drowning in wealth or something it would still be very very flat mm-hmm. so uh that's why i i i tried to use these references and that's why uh, you know the the just to visualize 5000 crores that's the amount of money you would uh, you know you, you could buy a small country in maybe like that's that's what that that that's what uh, it computed to me so uh, i i i wanted to show that the amount of money he had is comparable to cities they're comparable to like buildings and they very very big and that's the only thing he saw mm-hmm. and one other detail that i tried to add there is the the graphs that come out in the title sequence these green graphs that kind of form the skyline of the city mm-hmm. in a in a typical stock market uh, ticker tape you would see greens as well as reds but i vehemently avoided the reds because to me after watching the show uh, i to it it felt like the character of harshad mehta more than anything was a gambler where he had ample opportunities to quit while he was ahead and he was way way far ahead of his competitors at a very very early stage he had so many chances to just be a wealthy person and remain a wealthy person without having to uh, be convicted and and go to jail and all that but he just couldn't help himself he was addicted to the idea of making money more than keeping Play, that playing game. the game was more important than leaving he with did, what you yeah, want yeah and and he he just wanted to win yeah he did he didn't want to keep the winnings he had no plans for that like obviously everybody enjoys being wealthy and he did too i'm sure but 
to him the idea of winning was way more enticing so that's why i tried to keep only greens there to show that he didn't see loss mm. like he couldn't he was incapable of seeing it so to him uh, that's why everything's green everything's on the up and up until the floor gets swept beneath us and then it just falls down uh, he doesn't see it coming at all love that i mean this is such a great insight because now when people listen to this and rewatch the title sequence and eventually watch the show as well they'll be able to understand your thought process so much better and kind of get an insight about why certain decisions were taken at that time so yeah amazing. i mean i i tried my like even the giant hands mm-hmm. uh, so in the in the beginning of the sequence uh, there are these symbols that the uh, like these hand symbols that come on the screen and this is actually a a, a nod to the uh, hand symbols that uh, you know uh, day traders use on the bombay stock exchange uh, uh, trading floor to communicate okay because okay. they have to get the message across much faster they can't keep yelling so they actually use these hand symbols uh, which has a has its own language by the way oh, okay that, that's something they use to communicate to uh, you know uh, to buy or sell and a host of other commands that they give to each other mm-hmm. and uh, these looks so, so i i just wanted to show that you know he rose because he started seeing the patterns which is there in the show itself like he's able to like figure out where the market is going to go and how these things work very quickly because he just had a has a natural like disposition towards that stuff the character in the show and to me that was a very big parallel to neo seeing the code in the matrix where finally he understands you know he sees the inner workings of everything so that, that that's also a nod to the green that i've used which mm. is the matrix green interesting so so i it was just look that i was just like an easter egg for my own thing because i always wanted to do something with that green mm-hmm. and uh, you know so those those hands they're like on the sidelines as the profit margins kind of go up that is to indicate that it's the people the masses that made harshad mehta into the figure that he was the god character that he became where people like almost like an elon musk of of the times you know like his word is is the code like right. what what right. he says will happen when you uh, reach that kind of a cult status where anything you utter yeah. just becomes truth it just just happens mm-hmm. uh, you know so and but then at the end when the you know the the building collapses and he's falling down with his car it's the same hands which kind of grab at him because it's the same people who brought him down who made him the public enemy right so the same people who lifted him up also brought him down back to the same level so you know that's like a cyclic thing because i, I mean there's almost like this sick twisted thing where you want somebody to reach that heights and then you can't stand the person being at that top and then you want to pull them down again yeah yeah, yeah. like you you're under that much more scrutiny right yeah. like you one misstep and you're suddenly like there's no, no you can't be forgiven at all so something like oh, that i mean these are great insights man it's interesting to see how much metaphorical thought has gone into each of these frames and <laughs> the planning of it and you were working with a storyboard artist as well right at the beginning to yes, sequence yes. out yes. these things how, what was that process yes. like so he's like a very good friend of mine and like ever since we've been working on every project like there's a couple of projects we're working on right now mm-hmm. he's a batchmate actually his name is uh, orko okay. and he uh, he the best part about both of us working together is that he gets me mm-hmm. and uh, you know like there's no need to explain like like how uh, both of us can like sort of just start jamming out right? like if i talk about a movie 
you already know the frames i'm going to talk about mm-hmm. something like that it's I like uh, we finish each other's references so to speak <laughs> you know so he uh, that's funny yeah so he uh, when uh, like i i had uh, every time i i almost had have a really like a little toxic uh, ideation process for this one mm-hmm. where i'd have like i edge towards like an anxiety attack because i don't have anything yet okay and i just almost when i'm just about to have an anxiety attack or something like that i'm just going to break down i'll get that one idea so i have to push myself to that brink wow. and then i'll have to like quickly sketch it out before it goes away you know like i'm afraid it'll just go away so i'll sketch out some really really rough frames after 7 hours of ideating with orko like where we're, we're on google meet and he wasn't here for the whole process so okay. all of it happened on that uh, i'm sorry i'm not quite sure where are you based out of right now i'm based in mumbai okay. and he at the time was based in based out of kolkata oh okay okay i see so we're just uh, collaborating online the whole time mm-hmm. so he uh, he would uh, you know like we would jam on it for hours i'd send him screenshots uh, i'd tell him about the story we discuss things then we immediately like we to start with we had a very low tolerance for you know like substandard stuff like we wanted to do something that really goes the distance right so we scrap we were scrapping ideas mo- more often than we were actually uh, fixing on ideas so for seven hours uh, we have nothing to show for it you know like we've discussed a lot of stuff but none of it like really sticks so we cancel it all And, out okay so now that you've given a little bit of insight in terms of how the development process was what was it like yeah. in terms of the deliverables because were the clients or jay in this case was he expecting daily keyframes or daily style frames or was um, it like take your time and get something to us he was super super uh, nice about it mm-hmm. like i'm i'm very fortunate to have such a cool client mm-hmm. because uh, the only thing we showed them in the beginning was this this basic this crux of an idea okay then for the storyboard frames it took a while because we we took our sweet time because uh initially we tried to do a few rough sketches it didn't quite work out because even they could see it you know because they're invested equally in the project in fact it it, it can be said they're uh, invested way more Far than more. you in the it, absolutely yeah so so they will not settle for something that's half assed yeah so uh, and we also realized that you no know, we need to put in a lot more juice so the next time around like the first round of storyboard did not work it was just a few frames anyway so the next time around i told orko bro we have to like buck up this mm-hmm. this is not going to work so this time around when we give, give him something treatment he's fine with but what what the hell are we going to say so that's something we have to figure out so that's when all the the whole anxiety period started but like it was just two to three weeks of nothing nothing at all you know and the last week i finally have these short like this big frames on my like uh, shorty sketchbook i just put down some frames mm-hmm. you know and uh, i like put down some frames just some rough sketches and we discussed it uh, like i am orko and i we discussed it and he's great because he shoots down ideas uh, which are not working you know so you, you need that bouncing board a lot of times yeah because yeah. just you talking to yourself it can be counterproductive a lot of time you know because you lose objectivity very quickly especially when you're that knee deep into a project where everything is kind of subjective you don't know you need something to latch on to like somebody to give you some objective feedback okay this is objectively good this is objectively bad so you don't do this you do that and it needs you know, so, i mean on top of that it needs to be somebody whose opinion you can trust as well in terms of what they are bringing 
Otherwise, yeah, since we have yeah. so many shared references, exactly. you know, I, I trust his vision and he trusts mine and he gets mine. He gets where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. So he, he understands 100%. And what he did was he made all the storyboard frames. He's way faster at sketching and way better than okay. I am. Okay. So I, I would give him the rough frames. He'd fair it out and make it look like really, really good. Amazing. And then what we did is we are like, this is something, this is a process I follow. This is something I learned from Plexus only where I don't move forward with animation until there's, there's an animatic in place. I will not animate a single frame. Okay. So, and this serve, this helps me, the creator, as well as the client, because you know, there's, there's like a visual vernacular that we both share after that point, which mood boards also do a great job of, right? Like you, you kind of, you're looking at the same visuals together. Mm-hmm. And when you have an animatic in place, which is just the storyboard frames, just cut to the beat of the music or, uh, you know, just, just spaced out. Yeah. That, uh, that was just something I was, uh, I just wanted to touch upon. Did you yeah. already have the final track or were you working off a temp track at that point? No, no, I did have the final track. Actually. Okay. Like uh, the, the uh, fun fact, uh, the, the amazing title track uh, for the title sequence was made, was locked one and a half years before I joined. The oh, project. wow. Okay. She's done. I mean, this goes to <laughs> so, show how long of a development process it is for these projects. Yeah, it, I think the, the writers wrote that show for over three years, three or four years. Wow. And it shows, it really shows. You mm-hmm. can, you, when you watch the show, you can tell this is very well written. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm probably the one who's worked on it the show for the shortest period of time. <laughs> it felt really long. So. That's interesting. Hey, so there's yeah. something I wanted to touch upon as well in terms of once, once you know you're on this project, how, how do you go about pricing a project like this? Because this is something that's not that well known, at least right. in creators in India who are trying to come up, like, a very common right. question that comes up is how do I charge for a project of this scale? So what was your process like? And you don't have to give specific numbers if you don't want to, but like yeah, just- so, so right now, uh, for, for, for scam, I didn't have a process in place yet, you know, okay. because uh, what, uh, what happened was, uh, this was the first big project that I had got. Mm-hmm. So even when I was doing, and this was my first project as an independent artist. Okay. So as a freelancer, so before this, when I did that other, my first title sequence, which was Raktanchal, I was still part of a bigger studio, mm-hmm. but I was the only one on the project. So okay. it was still a low project, but it was not an independent one. So I wasn't included in the pricing part of that. Okay. that one. So for this, uh, I didn't even price like my, like, I didn't even have a quote, like the producer on the, on the show was very kind he just like he knew i was a newcomer Mm -hmm. and i had no idea how to do all this stuff uh he just told me the budget that they had at the moment and like keep in mind this this project did not have sky sky high budgets it was made on a very very tight leash and what they got out of that is just brilliant Mm -hmm. it wasn't a very high budget show uh, but it's just so damn good so this guy like the producer uh karthik uh he just told me uh bro, this is how much we have. And <laughs> okay. I was already like three times higher than what I would have charged because I had no idea. I had no concept. Right. Like, it's not like, uh, I was pricing less because I didn't value my work as much. I was pricing less because I didn't know how much work was going to go into it. This is before the project even started. So I had no idea. I thought, okay, like, because my only marker was that 15 seconder that I had done, right. which was really not even close to this. The, sophistication that this one was going to have mm-hmm. so i had no idea and working on scam i realized obviously that budget whatever i had was not enough was not even close to enough but 
it was a learning experience okay i look at that project as a way to buy my computer that's that's that, that's that's what i'm looking at it as but after that uh in terms of pricing now uh this is after a lot of conversations with uh, other peers in the industry as well like uh, my mentors who are now my peers as well uh the plexus people mm-hmm. uh, they have really helped me kind of understand and gravitate towards what is a correct pricing plan for me okay uh which i'm still kind of working on it it changes with the nature of the project the you know the the visual style that you have to do with animation is just so so wild right like the range is so much absolutely you can something like it's i i think it's better to charge based on the kind of output the client is looking for and uh, i personally don't like to charge based on uh, working hours because i have very erratic working hours like i'll work for 12 hours in a day then i i i'll work for 2 hours the next okay and there's no calculation for that like it's not healthy or anything but it's just how i work so uh, for me uh, it's easier to charge the way advertisement people charge which is per second per second okay so, that's interesting so that way you know like depending on the visual style you can have a per second cost mm-hmm. and it's pretty simple straightforward that way because uh, for us even for rendering even if you've done the work rendering that rendering 24 frames is really hectic right yeah. that that requires more resources you might have to uh, rent out render farms you might have to kill your uh, gpus in the process melt your computer who knows you know so it, it, the, all of that also needs to be factored into the cost so what it does is uh, i feel it it works on both ends like if it's a longer title sequence or a longer animation project whatever it is you're going to need more resources mm-hmm. even if the animation part of it setting up the texture setting up the scenes won't be that hectic because it's just like you just have to extend the timeline yeah. to speak right but actually but, you have to execute it and then post production so yeah. much on yeah the post, so all of that is definitely going to require more resources mm-hmm. so your cost will automatically go up and uh, the flip side of this is so you, you can hope to be compensated properly mm-hmm. if it's a longer mm-hmm. uh sequence that you're working on but on the flip side of this sometimes uh creatives uh, the the creators of of a show or a film will want a 2 minute sequence which to me is atrocious nobody wants to watch a 2 minute sequence that's, i would that, that's a long it. sequence i mean that's a very long sequence. that's a short film that's a short film yeah. that's a short film and short films have a different range of budget okay? mm-hmm. so that's it's not even comparable to what you would get paid for a title sequence yeah. so i so it's also it also dissuades uh people from going for a 120 second uh sequence because the prices become obnoxious mm-hmm. right and they the prices actually rack up to a short film uh budget it is i mean 2 minutes is easily so, a short film yeah. yeah exactly so if they are comfortable with that budget happy go lucky you get the amount you want and you get to work on a short film that's great mm-hmm. but if they are not looking for a short film and they don't have that much expendable cash to just invest then they'll bring down the time because you're not going to budge on your rates because you know how much uh, how many resources it takes to really get push out a frame of that quality so you know depending on visual style and duration i think you can kind of zero in on a budget and there are some extra uh, expenditures that people should account for which i didn't do uh, until now and now i'm starting to do that uh, where you should account for uh, the render budget mm-hmm. because chances are you don't have a render farm readily available 
uh, or and if you're doing production grade work your computer your working computer won't be able to handle the final renders at least not all of them and definitely not in the timeline that you'll have it will choke up your computer and you won't be able to do anything else in the meantime i mean just on, to, just on that note yeah. i just wanted to know what kind of hardware are you running and then we can get back to the oh, yeah. pricing of it so, right right now i'm uh, i'm i i have a pispor gpu i only have like a 2070 super mm-hmm. just one of those uh, but i do have a 32 core uh, threader pro okay so, so that that definitely helps then that yeah, that, that that does help because okay. i i that allowed me to uh, when i was working on scam because of the tight tight uh, timelines and the fact that i'm the only working person <laughs> on this uh, i would uh, put up my renders in c4d and octane mm-hmm. and while uh, the frames were rendering i would compo- uh, composite the previous shot that was already rendered uh, at the same time so the multiple cores really helped me do that interesting because after effects doesn't use any gpu right so just, awesome yeah. cool so another question i had in terms of the pricing so it was just you and your friend orko who were working on the title sequence yes. Yes. was he hired separately from the production or did you bring him on board it was, it was like it was like he was part of my team okay so. okay yeah so that's a pretty important thing because you obviously have those connections and in this case just one person but the fact being that you know whom to reach out to i think that's so a very that's that's helping out so much mm-hmm. man like right now uh, after scam that's that was i i swore to myself i'm never putting myself through this again mm-hmm. like what came out of it is great i really love what happened but i'll i i won't survive the next time you know like it's and it's not possible it was it's just stupid to try to do something of that scale by yourself yeah cuz you're not yeah. proving anything to anyone you know like so i i after that point uh, all the other projects that i'm working on right now which are slated for release in the coming few months they all have like two three people all all of my college friends who you know had that same problem in college mm-hmm. <laughs> so they we're all we've like joined forces and we all have our own department so it's i'm not even restricted to just a c4d octane pipeline anymore i have uh, friends who are experts in blender so they're figuring out stuff in blender i'm still uh, compositing everything because mm-hmm. that's something i really enjoy doing awesome but okay. i don't even do all the cg anymore like that's great wow these are great insights because this is really the kind of tangible things that people can apply immediately because the metaphorical stuff that we talked about it's good to listen to and understand but not everyone is able to immediately implement it because there's a certain thought process that is needed which is built over time but these okay. kind of practical things charge this way or price this way it's quite important to learn yeah yeah and and get your friends on board man that mm-hmm. this is something i will it's a resounding thing that i i want to make sure everybody knows if they don't already yeah please take your friends on board it's the best because it doesn't feel like a working environment at all like even right now for the last 6 months i've been working uh exclusively through discord awesome. because we don't have physical offices right, right. because it's still uh, we're amidst the pandemic and all of these guys are all spread out over different cities in india mm-hmm. that we're not even in the same city but every day we're there on discord for at least 3 to 4 hours and we're working we're managing different projects at the same time and they have their own servers they're taking care of things and you know it's just it's it's great because it it just feels like you're hanging out with your friends and the creative uh, discussions also flow much better mm-hmm. because like like we discussed earlier these are all people who have shared references and shared sensibilities mm-hmm. so there's no uh, 
no barrier in terms of uh, just the creative direction because they already get it you know you can just bring an idea and you can just get to ideating yeah. so we're much faster we don't need 3 to 4 weeks anymore we can do the same thing in a week or two weeks maybe because we have more minds thinking on it especially i mean once you do it the first time it just invariably gets faster after that because the first time you have no idea how to actually navigate those yeah. situations yeah i mean it's it's still a very very subjective like it's not an exact science by any means oh, yeah, yeah but like i said earlier i know what room to lock myself into mm-hmm. so that the ideas start coming it's an interesting so, analogy yeah i mean even for me personally just the short film i worked on was also with all my friends so that experience that you're talking about in terms of having that connection and common sensibilities towards art and design just works out really well Absolutely. and by the way existence was amazing oh, thank, like, thank it was you so, so good like i i hope to be able to render stuff that looks that good someday man like it's, that's that's definitely film grade like in some that. frames it's it's actually hard to tell it's it's rendered which is uh, oh. yeah it's, it's definitely photoreal man that's, that's kudos a, like really cool work very kind of you to say thank you so much and i mean just kind of putting it out there because i think we have a pretty interesting vibe i would love to collaborate with you also at some point because oh definitely man like I yeah i, I think i've brought it up with you yeah before as well like yeah. i just by looking at your work i like there's no way this guy doesn't watch the same stuff i mm. do like <laughs> no chance exactly like you can just tell so i i i would love to man and after speaking to you i'm just that just confirms everything uh definitely you know like there's I'm sure there will be some avenues for us to collaborate, mm-hmm. and if nothing shows up, we'll just work on something that's a personal project. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I think. I mean, just what you said right now is quite an interesting thing. Having that first conversation with a fellow creative can make mm-hmm. or break a potential partnership in the future. How, totally, totally. How, how do you navigate that with your collaborators? Because you were luckily working with some of your pe- friends and peers from earlier, but right. in terms of navigating with other artists, how do you approach right. that dynamic? I actually do have a marker for that because over the last six months, I've had the opportunity to uh, meet a lot of new uh, like creatives I didn't know before uh, mm-hmm. from beforehand, and uh, like obviously there comes a point where you have to evaluate whether this is working out or not because mm-hmm. it I mean, it's it's for no no one's fault. Some some people are just not compatible as as uh, collaborators, you know. True. And uh, so I. for me that marker is uh, for better or for worse most of like all the people that i'm working with right now all my friends they were all uh, people who stayed up till the last night before juries before exams <laughs> okay they never finished any work right so, myself included so we were all the the slackers in class mm-hmm. so we the one thing i know and i can trust blindly is that these guys don't have giving up in their dictionary they are not going to bail on a project ever even if it kills them they are going to deliver that file yeah and then they're going to pass out like they they can pull it's not healthy at all it's not something i advocate but i know they're dependable you know like they they've pulled 48 hour shifts with me i've also pulled it they've also pulled it and we've we've been able to do that it's it at the at a great cost because we've been out for two two whole days after that yeah but they like they are passionate and driven enough to do that to put that first when push comes to shove yeah. if it does you know so that just makes me trust whatever they're saying makes me trust uh, like it, it's almost like uh, going to war like these projects because they are on such short timelines 
you need to know that you can trust the next body uh, like next you, you know like mm-hmm. they have to be like your brothers in arms uh, and it, you you have to trust that like if you fall short they'll pick up the slack for you and likewise yeah it shouldn't be like a one sided thing because then you're not only like not only are they not collaborating with you you're covering up for them or vice versa you know if you're not putting in enough then you're not uh, suitable to mm-hmm. collaborate with that other person so uh, this is something like i i for the college people i already knew that because we've been to through the thick of it yeah. and thankfully yeah. that has translated pretty well into what we are doing now but for other creatives it's been like a hit and a miss uh, sort of thing especially for commercial projects for mm-hmm. personal projects it doesn't matter because timelines are really like all yeah, in I mean, the it's, it's a bit more flexible that way in personal projects yeah but for commercial projects when you know it, there's you have to depend on people to uh, deliver certain things and it's not all set in stone like i might feel as as the the, the creative director of the pro- of of that part of the process i'm still accountable to higher ups right i'm still accountable to the director of the show or yeah. or the movie i might say this looks good whatever like let's say somebody is doing the cg for something and i might say this looks good it's good for me if the director says that's that needs to change then this person needs to change it and not me yeah cuz i didn't make it in the first place and like the timelines are such that it's it's just it's very very hectic and you know it's it's not ideal but i just i'm i'm still looking at it as the price of admission because i it's just the second year for me you know so i need to build a good body of work yeah i mean before i can set standards yeah you got to like, i mean everyone who wants to reach a certain position in this industry you need to pay your dues early on there's no yeah. there's no other way around it definitely yeah yeah and i'm fully comfortable with that but yeah. i just need like the person who's working with me to also be comfortable with that you know because yeah. i don't want to impose on that person i don't want to sour my relationship with that person just because of this because this is a work thing mm-hmm. so that's uh-huh. the only it's it's great that you are cognizant of this fact because just because you are willing to put in 16 hours a day doesn't mean the person next to you wants to do the same thing and yeah and, and they need to be aware fine. of it yeah exactly it's yeah. perfectly fine it's an individual thing totally yeah so i i so it's just like I, i i don't like i know hustle culture has its its positives and its negatives mm-hmm. and its negatives are like starting to outweigh the positives uh, yeah. in this day and age uh, public outlook is changing but i i don't know i mean call me somebody from the old guard like i i do still see the value of that because i i relish it like i personally enjoy it even if it's not like the most healthy thing to do i i would rather stay in that space because you know it's it's just there's always something new to latch on to yeah and it just keeps like keeps the drive going so i i i would just rather work with people who are already in that headspace than try to mold them into it because that's not fair to them or to me absolutely you know? so So now that you're at this point where you're starting to build teams and not just take on stuff on your own do you have any intentions yeah. of maybe setting up a studio of your own even if it's remotely Yes actually that that is part of the plan mm-hmm. so right now we're in the uh, very crucial stage of uh, trying to figure out a name ah okay is, uh, yeah, so it's there's there's uh, no scope like there the like I I've asked the boys to like uh, suggest some names and they're only coming out with uh, memes so i'm i've stopped asking them 
they're not taking it seriously <laughs> they can't <laughs> i don't know how to go about this but yeah it's I, I don't know the inner workings of how a studio works and all that so that's something i still need to uh become uh like informed about but it's just having a studio on the side is i'm looking at it like having a render farm right it's not what i do i'm still going to do what i do all the people who are a part of uh, the studio are still going to do what they keep doing anyway but like the studio is just a place where you can throw the bigger projects to right so because that has a better framework to handle stuff like that so uh, that's that's just also it's not like it's my like goal or ambition in life to open up a studio of my own it's just something that i know will like keep going and it can like it's basically to remove uh, like all the control from me myself as a person and just assign it to a name right so that my friends can also work under that banner and use some of that traction themselves you know where they can start managing their own projects and it's not just me right right right, right now that's the main bottleneck because i have to still talk to each client you know and because they reach out to me so i i want them to reach out to the studio so that i don't have to be the only person talking to them you know because i'd rather just handle the projects that i want to handle and there's that there, because there's enough to go around and i i really want if i'm going forward i i want my friends to also be there with me because otherwise what's the point right amazing so, i love i love that attitude i absolutely love the thought process Wow, this has been an amazing conversation, dude. You've learned, I've really learned a lot about your process and just mentality. I can see you've got a very active and positive outlook towards the stuff that we do. And I really like the, let's say, I can't figure out the word right now. It's like you take the chance and approach something on your own. You're not passively waiting for something to happen. So I really Oy. like that. Yeah, leap of faith, man. That's what I call it. Like I, I'm just jumping like because it's, I don't know. Like I, I feel like uh, it's maybe it's because of the whole education system thingy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like extra excited at this phase in my life because it's just been like two years since I've left college, you know. Right. But before that, for twenty three, twenty four years of my life, I felt like I was always being, sh- I, I was always shut in a box. Mm-hmm. Like whatever I wanted to do was. Was stifled, you know. It, they they didn't let me do it. Like it's not anybody's fault. Nobody like conspired against me or anything. But the situations were such, you know. Right, right. That's where, how the framework was. Or yeah, was I, I could just never blossom or just 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 do what I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. for the first time in my life, I can finally do what I've been meaning to do for all this time. So there's all that pent up energy that has been building up all of over all of these years. And now I just finally get to push it out into the world, and I, I don't want to do anything else <laughs> at the moment, but that's, just work. That's awesome. You know, and that's awesome. Yeah. So, just one final question I like to end the conversation with generally is: Are you somebody who thinks ten to fifteen years ahead in terms of how they want their life to shape up, or do you just take it as it comes, yearly or monthly? I think, I think I'm in between right now. Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, Initially, I used to be like a, t- a very take it as it comes kind of a guy because okay. I had no objective uh, sense of direction about where I'm going in life. Then, uh, as soon as I got into this whole uh, 
like the, the motion graphics uh, scene and uh, you know started uh, doing title sequences and all that initially it was immediately 10 year plan let's do it like let's just set out a life path now that i finally i'm starting to get my life back in order but now i'm sort of starting to sway back like okay. somewhere in between because i feel like that's a good place to be in because you can't possibly account for everything that's going to happen in the next 10 years what you can have i feel is a loose framework just have these goals that you want to achieve and just keep doing something uh like just going towards that navigating towards that goal and you know maybe you will end up at a better place even than what you planned because i think if everything is planned then you don't leave any room for the magic to happen mm-hmm. because the you know that's that's the beauty of the unexpected i wasn't expecting scam i had a plan before that as well scam was not a part of it but that completely changed the trajectory of my life entirely right you know and i definitely want to leave room for stuff like that to happen in my life so i don't want to have a complete plan just a broad framework works you know where i know okay in in 10 years i probably want to be in a position where something like this is within my reach mm-hmm. or creatively i'm able to execute this level of a project mm-hmm. something like that as loose as that is 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 okay like i don't have figures in mind like i want this much nothing right, like that right 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 it's just about creatively what i can do like i want to eventually make my own film someday you know like have my own matrix out there which inspires hopefully other kids like me to take the same journey you know mm-hmm. because i wouldn't have it any other way like i'm so grateful for these kind of movies to exist cuz they gave me an escape route from an early age you know and i'm still holding on to it so i want to put stuff like that out there in the world for other kids to latch on to hopefully and you know maybe they can take the same journey awesome i think that's a great note to end on jishnu thank you so much for coming on the podcast thanks a lot man this is a lot of fun